0: Oh, welcome to ER's podcast. Uh, today we have with us uh, Hans-Jakob Schindler who's the senior director of the Counter Extremism Project, uh, with which ER has done some joint work. And we're basically going to talk about cryptocurrency and terrorism today. So
1: thanks for doing this with the Hans. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the introduction. Always a pleasure to be with you. Um, so I guess we'll start
0: with the broadest sense. Um, can you describe what cryptocurrency is?
1: Yes, so cryptocurrency is really a technical new innovation. Um, It um, follows really an underlying philosophy that is called the Austrian School of Economics. Uh, The idea is the following. Economics and finances work best when there is little to no involvement uh, of the state. Fiat currencies being issued by governments and uh, coordinated by central banks Um, can, by political involvement, lead to large-scale disruptions. So 2008, the financial crisis being the most recent, uh, most obvious example of that. So the idea was, how can we devise a a possibility to transfer, manage, and generate value without political interference? And for that one, they they took a fairly well-known and established technology called blockchain technology and said, okay, if what is the reason why we do have a government behind a fiat currency? What is the reason why we do have a, a central bank? Is because the people transacting the value need to trust each other. And since they don't usually know each other, uh, it is the government and the central bank and the official financial system that generates this trust through them being a government. So you trust that you have a dollar bill in your hand that the U.S. government, make sure that the dollar is worth exactly a dollar. How can we generate this without having this intermediary? And there the idea was, okay, we have to generate um, total trust and transparencies between the two individuals that do transact between each other, right? And that's why blockchain comes in. Blockchain technology is a distributed ledger technology which rests on thousands of different computers and servers. And when you are transacting on the blockchain, in this case on uh, cryptocurrencies, then you have the ability to see the transaction history of your counterpart. And because it's distributed, um, the counterpart is unable to modify his or her transaction history. So if he says, I have, let's take the most famous Bitcoin, I have," I have a Bitcoin, I would like you to send that bitcoin please give me your wallet address then you know that the other party has a bitcoin because you can see that the other party has a bitcoin you can see the transaction history that uh, the other party always was good for the value or was acting in good faith so that takes the middleman outside and gives you a transaction possibility and blockchain can be used for many other things for contracts and, and, and other things where essential trust and unmutable record of some actions is necessary. Um, then you use this blockchain to transact your Bitcoin currencies, and therefore you no longer have the immediate. Rate. Now, the problem with all of this is, is that a cryptocurrency is worth what you and me and others think it's worth. So it's not actually pegged to anything. It's not pegged to gold. It's not pegged to economy like fiat currency is. Is simply what... I think it's worth and what you think it's worth. And the community then decides on the value of Bitcoin. So it is simply a communications mechanism that in the case of cryptocurrencies is used to store and transfer value. But value that is created on the trust of the the users that there is actual value there. That's why some argue cryptocurrencies are somewhat of a of a ponzi scheme or or a fraud because there is actually no real world value connected to a bitcoin it's a you generate a bitcoin it's called mining by solving mathematical formulas you need a lot of space uh, server capacity a lot of computers in order to do that and then you generate the value of a bitcoin now in order to ensure that This is not going to get a completely diluted value. Classically, cryptocurrencies uh, limit the amount of cryptocurrencies that can mine, i.e. the algorithm that generates those problems that are going to get solved in order to mine the cryptocurrencies get increasingly harder. And then at one point, it's simply physically, humanly impossible to generate more. So cryptocurrencies, I think, is pegged at 20 million of those. Uh, other cryptocurrencies have are more or less reiteration of that. But that scarcity is then in, meant to ensure continued value of that electronic signature.
0: Do you take much of a view on whether it
1: actually is a, a policy scheme? Look, I mean, if people wouldn't have lost money until now, and many, many, many people did, um, I would say, look, it is it is not dissimilar to fiat currency in that we no longer have the dollar pegged to the gold. Um, we do have simply a story of the US government being a viable government for money, the European Union with its euro being a viable economy uh, for the euro, but there is still also no longer a connection between an actual physical value and... Uh, And the fiat currency. However, of course, this being established way to transact value fiat currencies, this being regulated globally, um, it is a more secure secure way of storing and transacting value than cryptocurrencies at this point are. And you have seen large-scale failures of the systems, entire exchanges collapsing, or actually large-scale fraud like like the big FTX exchange that collapsed a couple of months ago, very obviously seems to have been. So it is somewhere in the middle, but many people make the argument that we are at the beginning of a new technology, a beginning of thinking about value and transfer of value in a completely new way. Then, of course, yes, at the beginning, you will have large-scale failures, and this will weed out the bad actors from the good actors in the in the, in the the sector and then in the end, you're uh, arriving at a decently functioning system. So you can take both positions. I would say the jury is still out. Maybe, maybe you'll say again that the
0: jury is still out. This is the last question on crypto itself before we get into the terrorism side. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, like the, the fraud is fairly endemic. I mean, people just basically steal large amounts of money and it sort of there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but the, the problem with crypto seems to be that the things that would make it functional would make it basically the same as the fiat currencies. And in other words, all of the things that crypto was supposed to solve, um, it wouldn't be able to do those things if it adopted the safeguards needed to make it a kind of a viable system. You would just have reinvented fiat currencies.
1: Yeah, one could There's make that a... argument. And there is this sub-variant called stablecoins that is pegged to an actual fiat currency, right? So the value of cryptocurrency X is pegged to the dollar or to the euro, um, which then basically, as you said, takes out this uh, idea that there is no intermediary. However, blockchain technology itself, I think, has a lot of promise because it does take out the need to generate trust otherwise and buy... A creating transparency and B by uh, making sure that whatever action is recorded, this record is immutable. So there is other uses of blockchain that I think has not yet really permeated in the way that it can. So there is promise in the technology. Whether that cryptocurrency are ever going to be supplanting or being as big as fiat currencies, I also have my doubts. But as always with technology. Once it's out and once it's adopted to a certain rate in cryptocurrency, certainly it's been, at least as far as Bitcoin is concerned, been adopted by quite a number of people. Then, you know, it will never go away. Maybe it gets smaller in in the the future, but it will never actually stop. And you can see that real life economies, some countries in South America um, actually now treat Bitcoin as a legal tender, um, are going that route. On the more darker side, of course, Countries that are international financial sanctions, such as North Korea, uh, to a certain extent now, also Russia, but also Iran, um, have, uh, for good reasons, um, understood that this is an alternative uh, in which you can transfer value. And so financial sanctions against you that bars you from getting access to US dollars or even euros uh, could be somewhat... Supplanted by, by having uh, access to and uh, control over some cryptocurrencies. So, for example, Iran is now one of the largest miners of cryptocurrencies in the world. So, you know, yes. the alternative system that is there is also generating some negative side effects of this one, of course. If I remember right, wasn't El Salvador
0: that legalized cryptocurrency? Indeed. Maybe it was just Bitcoin. But then it collapsed yeah, and,
1: but I mean, you, I can air, also so buy air. in some shops in Germany, uh, in Berlin, where, where I live most of my time. Uh, I can buy uh, stuff on bit, my lunch for Bitcoin. Uh, I can rent an apartment uh, in, in California on Bitcoin. I can buy a car at a car dealership uh, in, uh, um, uh, in Texas on Bitcoin. Now, as a travel agency, if you want to travel to Iran, obviously, because of the financial sanctions, that is also a practical problem if you would want to go to Iran. But there are travel agencies who offer entire uh, trips to Iran, including flight and hotels and taxis and meals prepaid, all on cryptocurrencies. <laughs> so there is some real-life, real-world uh, use of this, uh, not just online, not just as a speculation tool. But these are still individual cases.
0: Well, least nice to say on to where we're going with this, which is um, obviously terrorist groups of cryptocurrency amenable as well. Um, do you
1: know when terrorists would start using cryptocurrency? Well, I mean, the, the origin date when the first terrorists ever used a cryptocurrency, I think, is unknown. I mean, first of all, it's very important to, uh, to understand that whatever new technology comes on the market, terrorists and criminals are going to misuse that technology. That's nothing, that's not a characterization of the technology. Technology is technology, it's neither really good or really bad. Um, but, uh, you know, human, human intervention, uh, also on the dark side of things, is always um, working to adopt these things. For example, um, very early on when emails came up, Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, of all places, not known in the uh, mid-1990s for the best internet connection on the planet, but they were, you know, very actively using email accounts uh, to communicate with each other not sending the email, but using the same uh, shared login data so that they can communicate via a draft folder. So to avoid sending emails and being detected, they basically just had one email account where everyone was writing the message in the draft folder. So that was at the time when I was at university and I didn't have an email account yet, right? So uh, terrorists will always do that. What we do know is when the first indictments on the misuse of cryptocurrencies happening. That really is in parallel with the situation of uh, ISIS rise in Iraq and Syria. That's when the first group started to toying with the idea. Not only in Syria, so ISIS was pretty much one of the first ones, but also Hezbollah supporters tried to explore uh, whether this would be an alternative way to actually raise money and store money without governments having the ability to freeze terrorism financing. So the big risk for the terrorist financer, of course, is that he gets discovered by a government. So his account gets blocked, the money is basically frozen or even seized after a court order. However, with cryptocurrencies being unregulated, more or less globally at that particular point, so 14, 15, 16, if you don't regulate it, how can you freeze the value? Right, So we had attempts of ISIS. There is a unfortunately very disturbed teenager who wrote a handbook on how to use uh, uh, Bitcoins here uh, for ISIL uh, here in America and send it there. There are uh, cases of uh, donation drives. And here we saw a shift if you use cryptocurrencies. And that's also one of the reasons why it was adopted early on. Until that time, if you had a donation drive for a terrorist organization, you had to put layers and layers of obfuscation between you and anyone who's not in the know from the outside. I.e., you could not openly raise money for Al-Qaeda or you could not openly raise money for Hezbollah. You had to have an organization with some, usually some very nice fancy name that would then collect the money to help children or buy medical supplies And then transfer via Havalada or money couriers or other uh, ways of obfuscation uh, money to that particular terror organization. With cryptocurrencies being unregulated at that time, so we're talking about 15, 16, 17, um, this risk completely reversed. Because you couldn't seize the money, anyone talking about the donation drive, and there was an article in the New York Times about the very first donation drive, coming out of Syria for a terrorist organization, that actually helped the donation drive. Because now publicity was helpful rather than dangerous. Because now more people knew, you are more likely to get uh, donations on cryptocurrency, and your money can't get seized. So it it had a really interesting effect on on the way that some of the terrorist groups thought about cryptocurrencies. I mean, there is a Palestinian group that uh, had no compound now, uh, to put out on social media a cryptocurrency uh, uh, donation drive and attach to it a, a PDF presentation of what weapons and ammunition and explosive material would buy you. So one cryptocurrency, uh, one, one Bitcoin for a Kalashnikov, two Bitcoins for whatever, a mortar shell. So you know it would became very, very, very open in, in how they did this and what they did this for.
0: I, mean, so I want to come to regulation in just a second, but other than the Islamic State and Hezbollah and the, some of the Palestinian groups uh, have any, who
1: else is kind of making use of this? Well, anyone who has to hide something, to be totally honest, or is afraid that his money gets seized. So obviously it's used by a uh, um, very professional sanctioned aversion avers- by uh, Iran, by Russia, to, by North Korea, to, to buy spare parts. Um, it is used And that was a shift um, when um, some of the more violence oriented right wing extremist groups in America after the Unite the Right rally in 2017 in Charleston, all of their, or most of their website and web shops, got simply um, rejected by MasterCard, Visa, American Express, PayPal, and other payment service providers because of the reputational damage. You didn't want to be connected to those people. And that really let right-wing extremists to also uh, begin adopting cryptocurrency as an alternative payment mechanism to raise funds, for themselves. Um, do you know what kind of scale
0: cryptocurrency is used on by terrorist groups?
1: Yeah, so here's the big discussion, right? So if you talk to some players in the field, I'm not going to name them, right? The argument always is um, hardly anything. Which is true and it's not true. So, the problem here is the very first cryptocurrency that got widely adopted is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is very transparent. From the outside, you don't even need to be transacting with your counterpart. From the outside, you can, and you, if you know the wallet address, you can look in the wallet and you can see how many Bitcoins this particular wallet holds. And then you can look which. Other wallets. This Bitcoin has this wallet has transacted with. So everything is absolutely transparent, not just for the two parties interacting, but also from the outside. This was, of course, the reason because the wide adoption of Bitcoin was the reason that uh, terrorist groups, first and foremost, started to use Bitcoin. However, because of transparency and because you know tools were developed called blockchain analysis tools that connects then the wallet address which is simply a combination of numbers it doesn't have a name attached to it but when you are looking who this wallet is with, and find where at one point or the other this bitcoin in the wallet gets then transferred back into fiat currency ideally then you can make an educated guess so statistically likelihood that this bitcoin wallet is connected to this ip address or this particular identity or this particular name it takes quite a lot of work, but it's possible because everything is transparent. However, technology never stops. So Bitcoin was simply the first, in my opinion, the purest way of that philosophy. Total transparency, no intermediary because we have total transparency, and absolute trust because record cannot be muted. We now have other classes of cryptocurrencies, in particular called privacy coins, which either like Monero, encrypt the wallet so you can see that there is a wallet, but you can no longer see what's inside the wallet or uh, encrypt the wallet as well as the blockchain, which means you can see the wallet, but you don't know what's in the wallet and you do not know who that wallet uh, or what other wallets this wallet has transacted with in the past. That means we are losing visibility of what is actually going on when it comes to these particular technologies from the outside. If you're transacting, that's fine. So, you know, if you want to look into the wallet, you have to create your own wallet and then transact in that particular cryptocurrency with the other wallet. And then you can still see what's in that wallet, but you have to transact with that wallet. Meaning we are losing the, and all of the indictments by the way, on on terrorism financing have been more or less exclusively on Bitcoin, on the actions taken on Bitcoin. In the newest indictments uh, here in the US, it says, and there were also Monero and Zcash and uh, and other transactions, but the indictment is on what was done on Bitcoin because that is what is visible. Every single extremist organization that we looked at at the counter extremism project, whether it's right-wing extremism, Islamist extremism, every terror organization that the US government has done an indictment to, now also deals with privacy coins. So my suspicion is that we are not seeing less use of those cryptocurrencies by terrorist organizations. We just see less of the use of cryptocurrencies by these uh, terrorist organizations because we no longer have the ability as easily as before to actually look into the system and understand what is going on. That's why you have this argument Well, now it's about stealing, it's about fraud, it's about other crimes, but it's not about terrorism. Given the advantages that cryptocurrencies still offer for terrorist organizations, i.e. the inability of a lot of governments to actually seize the value in there, and the newly established typology that you actually combine Havala banking with cryptocurrencies, i.e. you transact in the areas where yeah, the cryptocurrencies cannot be seized in cryptocurrencies and then fiat it out, i.e. take your off ramp into fiat in a space where you feel secure and then havala that, uh, havala that, ma- uh, that money to your operations cell. Uh, um, uh, that, I think, is still an indication that this typology exists and there are some cases where this has been uncovered. It's an indication that there is still more going on that we are at the moment are able to see but you will hear arguments from the industry constantly that this is not an issue at all which incidentally is the same argument all industry always makes when their products become uh, become problematic and the early days of social media all of the big social media companies always are argued that terrorism extremism content on their platform is minuscule, hardly used, why would you in the war zone of Syria need to access social media? Well, it turned out after the Islamic State did these very public uh, videos that even in a war zone, even in Syria, even in Afghanistan, if nothing works, telephone connections, mobile phone connections usually work because militaries need to communicate with each other. And so you do have an uh, internet connection. If nothing else, you have a satellite internet connection, also commercially available now, which means these technologies are also useful in, and are used in active war zones. So the, the fact that you don't have a wonderful cryptocurrency ATM standing around in Raqqa doesn't mean that people in Raqqa are not able to use cryptocurrencies. Some of the, social, uh, uh, the, the civil society organizations in Afghanistan um, not known for its great banking system, are getting paid in bitcoins now it's so how do
0: essentially mentioned hawala i didn't actually know that the cryptocurrencies have been kind of combined with hawala though i guess it makes sense because it's it's obviously fun to combine um, the best of
1: both worlds right so you have yeah. the uh, electronic version where you without any costs um and fairly secure can transfer your value And then you use Havala, which is a big obfuscation mechanism that has been very successfully deployed for many, many years. Nothing to, you know, no problem with Havala as such. This is a transfer mechanism of of money that's been used for thousands of years. But it obviously helps that record keeping in the Havala system in many countries is not quite at the same level as it is in the financial system. So you combine the best of both worlds, really, as from a terrorist perspective, of course of course um I, what i was going to is
0: actually in a sense how they how they compare with each other so is the for example is Hawala still a larger kind of terrorist mechanism than cryptocurrency or is it just impossible to to be? Really, in other words do they do basically the same function or are they kind of distinct well see
1: you know the problem is you don't have good data on either one of them however look Everyone who looks at terrorism financing continues to say cash is king." So Fiat still plays the much larger role, And because we have gotten very good with regu- regulations and with monitoring of transactions, or much better from the way that we were in the early '90s when, when the financial system began to be regulated, Fiat and um, Fiat currency and the official financial system don't go well for terrorists. So you have the cash, but you can't go to a bank, or in many cases, you're not able to go to a bank, put it in a bank account and transfer anywhere. So Havala really offers uh, the advantage of not having to go to the formal financial system, which is much higher regulated than than, uh, Havala in many other countries. Plus, of course, in order to be a Havala dealer, all you need to do is you need to have contacts in the countries where people want to uh, send the money to. So you don't really need an infrastructure, as you know, Havala works in that I go to Havala havaladar, I give him a hundred euros. I say I want to send it to Kyle. Um, please, the password is this, right? And then I contact Kyle outside the havaladar. Give you my password. You go to the havaladar contact in the country where you are. You say the password or the uh, uh, the code that is given to uh, by me to you, and you get a hundred dollars. And then once the the this uh, proportion between one and the other side is getting too big you know, money gets uh, flown over or in some cases in the more professional Havada world, get actually transferred via, via normal bank accounts back to the other countries. So, it really doesn't require anything except that you have a good international contact network, which means you can operate from wherever you are and people simply need to trust you and that's usually done because you've done it for a long time. Um,
0: okay, so on the the issue of regulation of cryptocurrency as far basically i'm going to give you the argument against and if you can then tell me where this they're going wrong so as i understand it the, the arguments against it other than just that the industry no industry kind of really wants to be regulated um so firstly it would it would take away the secrecy which is kind of the point of it for most people you would have to have some kind of transparency over who actually owns wallets and things which is kind of not what they want. The other problem would be that audits would have to be taken of these, these currencies and I think in a lot of cases that would reveal that they actually don't have as they don't have as much actual money in the system as they claim they do um, because a lot of them are as you said because of the kind of Ponzi scheme nature of it they're basically paying off new, new subscribers with the money of old subscribers so that's the first thing. The second thing is the, just the sheer difficulty in implementing it because they can't actually force disclosure, really, from these, these systems because they, the technology just allows them to, to cloak themselves. Um, and the third one is related really to the first, uh, because of the kind of the nature of it, which is on the borderline of kind of legality anyway. Like I mean, the reason it's not a Ponzi scheme is because Ponzi scheme claims an underlying um, kind of resource that is generating wealth, whereas cryptocurrencies don't claim that. Um, They just promise increases in wealth kind of by magic. Um, So because they're not promising anything, they're not actually technically breaking the law if they don't deliver. Um, But if you regulate it and bring it within kind of a legal framework, you'd be granting legitimacy to that system and kind of opening people up to all kinds of fraud. Um, so, yeah, how would you say... To well, to I mean, that? you
1: make now the perfect argument to say, why don't you let the criminals be criminals? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I <laughs> think it's I, I, the criminals will be criminals. You know, I'm not really shocked that criminals say, please, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to be transparent and I don't want to have KYC and I sure. don't want to do due diligence. But I mean, this is luckily, the industry is shifting on that one. That was the original position, right? This is supposed to be Um, the alternative to a state-controlled government policy, politics-influenced financial system, and how can we now be regulated by the very same government that we actually want to be the alternative to, as far as transfer is concerned? I get that argument. The problem is when you make that argument, right, and you want to be an alternative transfer mechanism, you're going to have to live with the fact that you just now program the perfect technology for anyone with nefarious purposes. For criminals, for sanctions evasions, for human rights violators, for human traffickers, for terrorists. This is the perfect system. Outside, completely dark, no controls. No one knows what's going on. Guess who 80% of your customer base is going to be, if you're lucky. right? Possibly even closer to 90%. Because that's what they need. You just provided it to them. So there needs to be a middle ground. Now, the question has resoundingly been resolved, of course, on the US side as well as on the European Union side. With the fifth MLB, and the fifth Fifth Money Laundering Directive, virtual assets and virtual asset providers are now treated in the European Union for a number of years, very similar to simply other financial institutions. You need a license, you need customer duties, yada, yada, yada. In comes the technical question, and that one is for the industry and one is for governments. For the industry, of course, is how do I deal with privacy coins? The only way to deal with privacy coins, because not only when we're talking about industry, we're talking about exchanges, a word that we haven't mentioned yet. That is simply, ah, how would I best describe this? Is more like a bank, right? So they hold your wallet, they provide you with a wallet. They hold your wallet. They have the ability for you to exchange in different cryptocurrencies. And yet they provide a service to you because they're providing a service to you. They are regulatable. Now, if you have however, a cryptocurrency that is absolutely encrypted wallet and blockchain, what do you do? The only answer for the exchange would be I either don't accept this or I introduce a protocol that forces those who want to transact into um uh, in that cryptocurrency on my exchange to simply uh for me as the exchange only um break the encryption i.e open the encryption up so i can see what's going on and i can do customer. so this regulation has been around since uh, 2019 really when the FATF started to develop the first kind of regulatory ideas and in in the u.s and in the eu i think we are Fairly far down the, the lane now with the new proposal of the EU Commission that not only first they only regulated exchanges that also offered fiat to crypto, crypto to fiat transactions because they had this link to fiat money. Now they're saying, no, no, also if you just deal in crypto to crypto transactions with closed, a closed, a important loophole. So that's the technical question what to do with privacy coins that exchanges will have to deal with if they want to deal in cryptocurrency. The real more serious, in my opinion, and this is a short to medium term problem already, um, a challenge for any regulation in the future is what it's called non-custodian wallets and exchanges. That is no longer a commercial enterprise. So usually as the normal user, you go to exchange, you pay the money that they give you a wallet, and then you start transacting. And therefore, that service can be regulated. A non-custodial wallet is a shareware developed by someone that sits on the internet. You can download it for free, right? And then you have a functioning wallet. And non-custodial exchanges or blackboards are simply meeting spaces, again, set up for free on the internet, where wallet users can come, interact, and transact with each other. There is no more an intermediary. At the very beginning, a couple of years ago, when this technology started to come out, this was really a specialist tool. So if you really knew what you were doing, this was the way to go because you had to encrypt your wallet by yourself. You had to find those exchange places. You then had to make sure that the wallet on the other side was functioning properly. So you really needed to understand what you're doing. The really problematic news is that this shareware or these sharewares are getting better and better. Now, encryption gets better. You don't have to do as much as uh, any uh, uh, by yourself. These exchanges are advertised on, on a social media platforms. So there's much less knowledge and effort involved to actually get a wallet for free from the Internet. The problem for governments and regulations and fighting against crime or terrorism or sanctions evasions or human trafficking or drug dealing is that, how are you gonna regulate this? Obviously the terrorists are not gonna say, well, I'm a terrorist and this is a terrorist wallet, right? So, and <laughs> if they are uh, transacting into uh, and with privacy coins and use VPNs, i.e. obfuscate their IP addresses, then it becomes technically extremely challenging to see what's going on as long as cryptocurrencies are transacted. Once they have to go to a fiat currency outlet, i.e. if they want to convert the, uh, um, the uh, cryptocurrencies into fiat currencies, that's your one and only chance. The off-ramp and the on-ramp. Uh, the on-ramp on the off-ramp are the only chances to actually understand that this is a terrorist. Now that's very easy to hide simply by the terrorist not doing the transaction, but someone else doing the transaction. The on-ramping into cryptocurrencies and the off-ramping into fiat currencies or an identity that is yet unknown to be connected with, with terrorism. So that is the real problem. Because then now you would have to monitor every that score, everything that's going on, able to in break, break those encryptions, deal with the VPNs on top of that. So it's a very, very challenging problem. And then you would still have the complete opposite of what cryptocurrencies actually were supposed to do. Because then now the state truly becomes the big bother because in order to be able to fight crime on this technology, the the government, the agency that is responsible for it, needs to see everything that's going on. So not just the criminals and and the uh, terrorists or the extremists are monitored, but now everyone using that technology is monitored. That's why we at the Counter-Extremism Project say the only way to deal with this problem for now until there is a better solution, technically speaking, is to simply say we make shareware like non-custodial wallets, non-custodial uh, exchanges illegal to use in our jurisdiction, so that we at least signal to everyone: if you use this, you are among illegals, and we will come after you. Use at your own at your own peril, in order to make sure that we weed out the innocent ones who just want to use a wallet, and this is an easier and cheaper way to get one.
0: Right. Uh, so on the subject, I mean, is there, do you think basically that the Western governments are on the right track with this? Or is there, is there some obvious thing that they're missing at the moment that they should be more focused on?
1: Well, I mean, as always with governments, right, technology, especially cryptocurrency technology. So when, when I had the first couple of discussions many years ago with someone in the field and he was talking about medium, right, I, uh, medium to long term. I said, so what, what? what is medium to long term in your industry? And he said, well, three to five years. It takes more years to negotiate one update to the animani uh, London Directive inside the European Union. So we always behind uh, on the regulatory side, um, the technology to start with. Plus, obviously, cryptocurrencies are very different from fiat currencies. So our knowledge, expertise that is being developed on fighting financial crime, fighting terrorism financing, really is not the knowledge that you need here. You need more computer programming. Uh, You need different software tools. Um, These skills have not yet been developed to the appropriate extent, given the fairly large adoption rate of cryptocurrencies, even in our economies, let alone the U.S. economy. So you really need to have a lot of capacity building here. And also within the European Union, with 27 uh, member states, you have to think about pooling resources. Does it make sense that Germany and France and Italy and Estonia and Poland all develop their own cryptocurrency uh, um, investigation units, having to buy the same very expensive software, having to hunt for the same very few really good software engineers that you actually need to do it, or would it not be more appropriate, more cost-effective, and in the end, faster to put an investigative service in place, either at Europol or at the European Banking Authorities that provides the technical investigation as a service to the law enforcement and uh, the financial investigative and get investigative units in the member states. Otherwise, you, you're going to have another years added before the capacity in member states are large enough um, for for this to be a possibility, right? So there is a reason why you know, most indictments on uh, cryptocurrencies happen in the United States, because they do have the capacity. Many European countries don't yet have the capacity that they even, even could bring forward an indictment. If you read indictments where cryptocurrencies are mentioned, the European Union is this guy got arrested on some terrorism charges and he had a Bitcoin account. So it's not because he was stealing in Bitcoin that he was recognized as a terrorist. So he needs to first do something else, break the law, be identified as a terrorist first, before you actually get uh, to the fact that he also has cryptocurrencies. And in many terrorism indictments now, it actually says so. That they have uh, uh, um, uh, accounts and wallets and hold Bitcoins or Monero or Zcash, um, um, the more privacy oriented coins, showing that there's stuff going on. But in the European Union, we are not yet there to actually see precisely what's going on. Um, so the last question is a bit of a,
0: a kind of a speculative one, but uh, just see what you think about it. Uh, presumably, the regulations um, and the the kind of increasing focus on cryptocurrency as it comes in will deter some terrorists or at least cause them to to adapt or maybe to move um so i guess too far from, how do you do you think the terrorists will be able and similar criminal groups will be able to adapt to the regulations and kind of evade them on cryptocurrency itself um, and do you think there's another technology where Is there another visible technology now that
1: they might move to if crypto becomes inhospitable? Um, No regulation ever makes any system completely inhospitable to malign actors, right? So 20 years of uh, financial regulations and we still have money going through the financial system. We still have some terrorism financing going through the financial system. So this is not, there's never a silver bullet. Bad stuff is always going to happen. People are always going to find a way around any regulation that you put in place. It's simply the point of regulation is to make sure that it's not easy and that it creates a considerable amount of operational costs and constant adjustment on the malign actor's side in order to make sure that they have operational losses while trying to do very normal things. That's the reason why you have regulation inside. No one ever claimed that any regulation on anything prevented bad stuff from happening 100%. It will also not be possible here. But cryptocurrency or the technology is only one aspect of a shifting technology environment. And it's shifting in a major way. So next step up from from, uh, uh, cryptocurrency or the newest development in uh, in similar spaces is uh, non-functionable tokens, NFTs. And guess what? As soon as NFTs became a little bit of a thing, right? First thing, ISIL is trying to issue some NFTs to earn money. Second thing, a couple of weeks later, a right-wing extremist terrorist group in in, uh, Russia, the Russian imperial movement, uh, also issued some uh, non-fungible tokens that they wanted to sell in order to finance their activities on the front in Ukraine, fighting Ukrainians. So proving my point... That terrorists and criminals are always all early adopters. So that is another way of thinking on how an economy works now with non-functional tokens. Now you're no longer claiming to create a currency. Now you're creating art, the the ability to sell stuff on a <clears throat> on a platform, right? Not just transact, but actually sell things in on a uh, uh, virtual things inside a virtual environment. And the next level up then would be the metaverse a completely new way of um, of uh, uh imagining reality right very personalized to you as the as uh, having your headsets on right so all of this would not work without some way to transact in those spaces which will always be cryptocurrencies but also offers the ability to do other nefarious things including by the use of cryptocurrency so I don't think we have begin have saw even the end of the beginning on this technological revolution that we are at the moment finding ourselves in, and so it needs constant attention from governments to see what what is the newest technology, how can this be misused, how is it misused, and how can we make sure to make this misuse harder. At the moment, even uh, if uh, the Russian pill movement is able to sell those non-fungible tokens for some money. Who's going to stop them? It's NFTs. It's not regulated. It's not illegal. Right.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I hope we can have you back at some point
1: for another discussion. Anytime again, very much uh, looking forward to the next time already. Thank you.